This morning we're going to talk about confidence. We're going to talk about confidence and, and the idea of Christian confidence. And, and I want to pose you with the question is, is, is there even really such thing as Christian confidence? Or is that just an oxymoron to say that Christians can be confident? Because it seems like in, in our culture today, it seems that we either say people have too much confidence or they don't seem to have any confidence at all. We seem to have a hard time realizing that there is a middle ground. There's a place where a person can have confidence without being cocky or a person can have maybe a little bit of confidence but that doesn't make them a doormat or a stepping stone for other people to just walk all over. See, that's the way we look at it today. We often think either a person is cocky or a person that has nothing and they're a pushover. But I want to share this morning that I believe not only is there a middle ground, I believe that Christian confidence is a real thing. And I believe that if as a church we're going to truly move forward and do great things for God, we're going to have to become confident in our faith. We're going to have to become bold enough in our faith to believe it and trust it enough that we will act upon our faith. And this concept in our culture today, it's, it's challenging, especially when we look at how maybe celebrities and, and politicians and those who are in the public eye live. We look at them and go, man, they have so much. They have everything they could ever want. And they seem to have such an overabundance of confidence. They seem to be so confident. And we think, man, those people are so cocky. Maybe they're so self-absorbed. But yet, I want to flip that picture around. As Christ followers, our relationship with God should boost our level of confidence. The relationship that we have with God should boost our level of confidence. But rather, many Christians find themselves lacking in confidence altogether. Many Christians find themselves with very little confidence. And I think if we're honest, we can all sit here and go, you know what, that's probably true. There are a lot of Christians that don't seem to be real confident and who they are. They don't seem to be real confident, maybe in their faith. But what's the deal with that? Why is that the case? Many of us struggle with having confidence as Christians on a daily basis. And if I was to ask you to describe what a Christian looks like in an emoji, those of you who know what emojis are when it comes to texting, if, you were, if I was to ask you, how would you describe a Christian? You might do things like the prayer hands, or there's an angel emoji, or maybe there's a church building emoji. But there's also one that's called the cool guy. And that's probably the least likely one that any of us would choose to describe a Christian in an emoji. Because we just we don't see ourselves that way. We often as a whole don't see the church that way. Maybe we even feel a little bit shamed at the face, in the face of the world because of our relationship with God. Maybe we're even a little bit hesitant to even share with people that we have a relationship with God because we just, we don't have the confidence that we need to do that, to move forward in talking about our faith. We live with our hands tied together and our feet on shaky ground. But here's the reality of our lives. As Christ followers, we are made to live with confidence. We're made to have confidence. In fact, the Christian life, by definition, 
should be marked by confidence. A strong relationship with Christ should be evident by the confidence we have in who He is and what He tells us we are as His children of God. As sons and daughters, as princes and princesses of God, we should have confidence in that as we walk in our faith. This morning, we're going to spend the bulk of our time looking at one particular Bible character who I think embodied confidence. And I think we can learn a couple lessons from him this morning. We're going to talk about the classic cool guy. We're going to talk about Elijah. In the Old Testament, we know that if we study history, that God's people, and we look at Scripture, it says that the nation of Israel began to beg God to give them kings. They, they, they didn't want to just have God. They wanted to have a king. They wanted to have a person who could rule over them. And so God said, you know what? Go ahead. And he allowed them to have kings and he allowed them to have queens who were their rulers. And so God granted them that desire. But that led to some terrible years in Israel's history as king after king tended to lead them away from the commands of what God was asking them to do. When you look at the number of kings that, were, that we had throughout the time of Israel, more often than not, the king led the Israelites away from God instead of towards what God was asking them to do. And during this season of history, God would speak through the prophets to call the Israelites back to himself. And in 1 Kings 18, which is where we'll be reading from this morning, if you would like to turn there, we see a horrible king named Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And they really take, they take the cake when it comes to being people who ran away from God's command, who were disobedient to what God wanted them to do, who led the Israelites as far away from God's commands as possible. But meanwhile, God calls Elijah to take his truth to the people as a prophet, to take the message to the people. And by verse 19, when we begin, we're going to see an incredible showdown brewing that shines a light on the confidence that Elijah had in God. Starting with verse 19, it says, Summon people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said, nothing. So at this point he's saying, you guys got to choose. Are you guys going to follow God or are you going to choose Baal? Are you going to choose to follow this false God? You have to choose. You can't waver between these two options. It's time to make a choice. Continuing on, it says, Then Elijah said to them, I am the, one, or I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bowls for us. Let them choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set it on fire. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but not set it to fire. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So we're setting the stage here. Elijah is saying that you have 450 prophets. 
for Baal. Here's your bull. I'm going to take my bull. And we're going to set them up on altars. And we're going to ask our God to call down fire on our sacrifice. And whichever God responds is the true God. Whichever God sends down fire is the true God. And they agreed. They said, okay, let's do this. We continue on. It says, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bowl given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. So here we see now, at this point, for a couple of hours, these prophets have prepared their bowl, laid it on the altar, and they're calling on Baal. Baal, come, bring fire, answer us. Show yourself that we may prove that you are the real God. No response. No answer. But just just to give us a a little bit of a a side note here. Do you see the ridiculous confidence that Elijah has right now in this situation? Elijah calls up 450 prophets and a fire from the sky duel. He says, my God and myself are going to take on the 450 of you and your so-called God. And one is going to prove that they are the true God. The one verse 450 competition that I can't imagine. I don't, I don't see any of us going, hey, sign me up to go against 450 other people by myself. My God and I against 450 people. I, I don't even see myself going against each of you. If I was to sit here and go, okay, I'm going to go 100 against, let's say, 60 of you in here. I don't even like those odds, let alone one against 450. Keep in mind also, King Ahab had already tried to kill Elijah more than one time. It wasn't like these guys were best friends. King Ahab had already tried to kill him. Let's see what happens as we continue. In verse 27, we read, At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and he must be awakened. So they shouted louder, and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until the time for evening sacrifice. Or midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So now we know they've been going from morning all the way through, and we're at evening sacrifice time now. So they've been doing this all day, the prophets of Baal have. But so not only does Elijah hatch this plan that, you know what, I'm going to prove that that my God is the Lord. He's the one true God. But in the middle of of this time, he begins to mock the prophets. He begins to mock them and their God. He said, I I don't know, is your God busy? Is, Is he sleeping? Has he gone away traveling somewhere? Where is your God at? Maybe he needs somebody to wake him up. 
You know what? I'm glad that our God doesn't take vacation. Our God doesn't sleep on us. Our God is never too busy for us. Elijah gets the award for having the most ridiculous confidence ever. But can you imagine this scene as it's playing out? I always love to play out the Bible as if it was like a movie. I can just see the scene in front of me, and, and there's no doubt this would be a, a very graphic piece of movie. But it, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous and amazing to think about what Elijah is doing. We have 450 prophets who are running around dancing and shouting to their God, and, and they're cutting themselves with swords and spears, and they're calling out to their God. And nothing is happening. Nothing. Our story is not over yet. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a large trench around it. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And then do it again. Do it a third time. He ordered them, and they did it the third time. The water ran down the, down the altar and even filled the trench. So now we've got a wet sacrifice. We've got wet wood. And we've got a trench of water all around this altar. We all know water doesn't do a whole lot of good when it comes to fire, right? Water is the last thing that we want to have when we're trying to start a fire. Continuing on, it says, At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have, have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let them get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them. This escalated quickly. We think about it. It went from all these prophets dancing and shouting and cutting themselves around the altar. So all of a sudden, Elijah, he, re he, he repairs the altar. He places a sacrifice on it. He has them put the water on it. And he, cr and he cries out to God in prayer. God, let them see that you are the true God. Answer me, O Lord, so that they may know that you are God, that they may turn their hearts back to you, that the people may once again be reminded of who you are as the one true God. Elijah went from being a major underdog who was way outmatched by the numbers 
to a conqueror who not only God answered him and proved that he was the true God, says that he, they took out all of the false prophets of Baal. And throughout this whole account, whole account, Elijah never wavered in his confidence. We never see him get nervous. We never see him get scared. He's confident throughout the whole day. He even stacked the deck against himself that was already stacked 450 to 1. But he asked them to pour water on the altar three times. The other thing to remember is in this time, they were in the middle of a massive drought. They hadn't had rain for a very long time in Israel. And he said, take the most precious commodity we have right now, which is water, and pour it on this altar. Pour it on the sacrifice. Pour it on that. He did all of that in the face of his own potential death because he trusted in who God was. He trusted what God had commanded him to do. And that was to share the word of the Lord. That was to proclaim his goodness. But what is, what is confidence not? Many times maybe we say this is what confidence is. Confidence is, is the misconception that that we have a lot of things. That we have a collection of tangible things and intangible popularity. We, we, we resort to, if we have a lot of materials, we should be confident because we have a lot of things. We're doing well in life. But that outward appearance doesn't have anything to do with where confidence truly comes from in our lives. Confidence is not that. But true confidence has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the God we serve. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Let them boast in this. That they understand and know God. That they trust God, who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness. For these are the things he delights in, says the Lord. Our confidence comes from a connection with our Creator, our God, who made us, who made everything. Elijah had that confidence, not because of anything that he had, but because of who he knew. Elijah had confidence not because of anything that he had, not because of possessions, not because of popularity, not because of a status or a title, but because of who he knew in his relationship that he had with God. That is where he drew his confidence from. And today, that is where you and I need to draw our confidence from and who we know, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is where our confidence lies and comes from. With Elijah, we know this to be true because when we read Scripture, we realize he really didn't have anything. He had very little, but he had all the confidence in the world because it rested solely 
on his relationship with God. Let us look back at the beginning of 1 Kings 18 to see how this crazy story even all began. So verse 1, After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Elijah went to Ahab because the word of the Lord came to him. God spoke to him and he told him, he said, go to King Ahab. Tell him that there's going to be rain that's going to come upon the land. And you know what? Elijah could have been, I'm sure he wasn't super excited about having to go confront King Ahab. Because he had threatened his life before. He had attempted to kill him before. But he didn't allow that to stop him. Because he had confidence in God that if God was going to call him to do this, that God was going to take him through this. Whatever God calls us to, he takes us through. We find confidence in that. His confidence came from the connection he had with his creator. And the same thing is true of those of us today who know God as our personal Lord and Savior. We can have confidence. How would your life look today if you had the confidence of Elijah? And I asked myself that, what would my life look like today if I had the confidence of Elijah? If we take an honest look at our life, we may find that our confidence fluctuates regularly. That we, we see, the things we see as identity defining will get our time and our attention. So is, is your identity, is your confidence, being held together by the things that you have, by who your family is, by what job you have, by what vehicle you drive, by what talents you have, or is your confidence and your identity based on the only thing in this world that can give true value, a relationship with the God of the universe, a relationship with our Lord and Creator. How do we grow in our confidence as believers? Here are two steps to help each of us grow in our confidence as believers. Step number one, correct confidence takes trust. Correct confidence takes trust. Elijah has shown us that his confidence comes from his relationship and his connection with God. The reason that many of us don't have the same confidence that Elijah has is because we fail to trust God as if He is truly God. That's where our confidence becomes shaky as we begin to forget and trust that God is who He says He is. That He can do what His Word says He can do. That He's still active and moving today just as He was in the time of Elijah when we read Scripture. We begin to forget that. And then we get shaky in our confidence. But we have to trust that God is who he says he is. Today we talked about how Elijah called fire and rain from heaven. But if you continue to read more about Elijah, you'd read about how he outran a chariot in a marathon. And how he risked his life many times because he trusted God. Why? Because he trusted God. I'm sure Elijah didn't want to always do these things. But he trusted God and he was obedient to that. Real trust is the basis for any relationship. We all know that as humans. In order for us to trust one another, 
we ha or have a relationship with one another, we have to trust one another. We have to believe that the things that we're saying to one another are truthful. That we, that we, can, we can understand that if you tell me you're going to do something, that you'll follow through and do it. Trust is key to any relationship, and that's no different with God. We have to trust in who He is. We have to trust that the things that He's told us, He will bring to pass. And we have to hold on to those things. We can't forget them. We need to trust. So if you're here today wishing that you had a life filled with confidence, you have a major question to answer. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Step number two to having growing confidence in your life is humility. Humility is necessary for confidence. Well, we've been spending a majority of our time this morning looking at Elijah. We're going to fast forward to the New Testament for a minute and look at another cool guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus, whose mission from God was to tell the people that Jesus was coming as Messiah, that there was going to be a coming Messiah. If you do a little digging into the beginning of the book of John, which wasn't written by John the Baptist, it was written by one of the disciples, we see that John the Baptist was kind of a strange dude. He was a little bit different and odd in many ways. We actually see that, that he lived in the desert, and he often ate bugs by choice. He would choose to do different things like that, that most normal people wouldn't choose to do. But he would go around and preaching, and people actually... Listen to him. This guy that kind of looked a little bit crazy was going around preaching and people began to follow him and listen to what he was saying. He had even developed a large following of people who called themselves the disciples of John the Baptist. But can you imagine the confidence that it would take for someone who's wearing camel hair and has bugs in their teeth to go around preaching? It takes a lot of confidence to do that kind of a thing in a positive, life-changing way, the message he was sharing. But John understood that our definition of confidence, he had a connection with his Creator, and he listened and he obeyed whatever God told him to do. He obeyed whatever God told him to do. This crowd of followers started noticing that people were leaving John the Baptist once Jesus had come onto the scene. Once Jesus began teaching and sharing, people began to... To, to go away from John the Baptist and start following Jesus. And you can imagine that this might have been hard for John the Baptist to take. He had, he, had, he had gained a lot of attention and people who were close to him, and now they were leaving him to go follow Jesus. They were following another leader. And then all of a sudden, the crowd began to thin out its head. They began begging John to do something about it. Those who, who stayed with John the Baptist, they were saying, you've got to do something about this. You can't let all these people leave and go to Jesus. But in John chapter 3, we see a beautiful response. To this, John replied, A man can receive what is only given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the groom, and the friend who attends the groom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the groom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. 
John understood that he had been sent to do a task which was to tell people that there was a coming Messiah. And then when the day would come, that the Messiah would come forth, that he was to step in line behind him and say, I must become less so that he may become greater because he is the Messiah. He understood that his confidence was a result of trusting in God and living with humility. He refused to build his confidence on the basis of the crowds that followed him because he knew that his purpose was to redirect them to Jesus. How can we have confidence like John the Baptist? By living our lives with humility. We have to trust that word again, trust that God is God. And then we have to live our lives on a mission to prove that. It means that whatever he asks us to do, we say, yes, Lord, we will do that. This is where true confidence begins based on True confidence based on God begins in trusting Him and being humble enough to not try to take His place. To say, God, you're God. I trust you. I know you. I believe that you are who you say you are. And I'm willing to step in line behind you and do whatever you're asking me to do. You're number one, and I will always be number two. I will never reverse that. I will never step in front of you. I will never try to take your place. But we trust. That God is who He says He is, and we show that through our humility, through our obedience to doing what He is asking us to do. Worship team, you can begin to come back up at this point. But trusting in Him and being humble enough to not try and take His place. Let us bring our focus back to understanding exactly what correct confidence is this morning. As we walk out, this is what I hope you'll walk away with. Correct confidence comes from a connection with our Creator. Our confidence comes from our Creator, not from anything else. Nothing else. It comes from our relationship with God, our trust in Him, which is followed through with obedience to whatever He asks us to do. I want to challenge each of you that every day when you wake up, between now and the next time we gather together, that you will begin to believe that this is true for you. That you will begin to believe, you know what? I do have a relationship with Christ. I believe that God is who He says He is. And there's no reason I shouldn't have all the confidence in the world. Not a confidence in yourself. Not a confidence where you boast in what you have and the things you have gained. But in a confidence in knowing who God is, our Creator. The one who is sovereign. The one who is over all things. The one who has created everything and knows what is best for each of us. God is so great. I want to challenge you to wake up and have that confidence. And maybe, what does that mean for you? Maybe it means you need to begin to take this relationship with Christ more serious. Because if your relationship is not in a good place, it's hard to have a lot of confidence and trust. So that's a starting place, is having that relationship with Christ and growing in that relationship with Christ. I pray that we can become a confident group of believers. Not just here at this church, but around this area and around the world. That the body of Christ can grab hold of the confidence that we have in God. That He has given us through a relationship with Him. And that we can move forward in that. There's no reason that we need to sit back. We need to have confidence and go forward with what God is asking us to do. To have confidence like Elijah did.
have confidence like John the Baptist did. To have confidence like many people in our world today do. But we need to all band together and have that confidence. So as the worship team leads us through one last song, I want to just encourage you to continue to ponder on that stuff and that idea of confidence and trusting that God is who he says.